You are listening to Been There, Done That. We present some of the smartest people connected to the business of coffee. People who've succeeded in the tough grind of hospitality by staying ahead of the rest. So join us as we explore the secrets to their success and help you accelerate your business. This show is brought to you by The Coffee Commune, where the coffee community comes to collaborate. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Phil DeBella from The Coffee Commune, and you're listening to Been There, Done That. And we've got something special for you. Very recently, I was honoured and privileged to have Don May, the global CEO of Domino's, with me. And he presented it at our expo and I was able to interview him and the content that he shared with the audience was absolutely unbelievable. So good that um, I requested his permission to be able to do a bonus release of a podcast and he's agreed to it. So thank you, Don. You're an amazing man and we'd love to share your wisdom with our listeners here on Been There, Done That. So something special we release once a month, but this is a bonus release. Mr. Don May, CEO of Domino's. It's not called Domino's Pizza anymore, if you know. It's just called Domino's, but of course they're famous for pizza. So um, enjoy it. It's amazing and some uh, great nuggets of gold. Make sure you've got a pen and paper ready and use the information to help accelerate your potential. The Coffee Commune, that's what we're dedicated and striving for, to help you accelerate your potential. Been there, done that. You've been listening to Phil DeBell. It gives me great pleasure. A man who doesn't really need an introduction, but is amazing at his craft. Started as a delivery driver. You can read the story online. Is now a um, global CEO. Over 3,000 outlets, 10 markets, Australia, New Zealand, Belgium, France, Netherlands, Japan, Germany, Luxembourg, Denmark, Taiwan, all under Don's guidance. He's grown the business and the brand amazing. He's Loves pizza, he'll tell you that. Loves, loves pizza. But he's known for his innovative, visionary, creativeness. I've had the pleasure of knowing Don, geez, nearly getting to 20 years. And I tell you, it's never a dull moment when we get together because of the way your brain operates and the way you work. And what I want to do today, our theme is pain points. Businesses going through it. You guys know that yourself because you're made up of thousands of small businesses. I shared the stats with them. 75% 75% aren't making award wages and 43 and this is in the independent space, not making profit. And I thought, who could we bring in that's got so much knowledge, so much experience of good times and bad and share your wisdom with the team. So please, big round of applause for Mr. Don Thank May. You. Thanks, Bill. Now, Don is very busy, obviously, most of the time, and he actually lives in the US these days. So to capture him here for this period means a lot, not only to me, but to everybody here, because we know how busy you are, and it's reporting season too, which is always a fun moment. Let's kick off. Tell us a little bit of the landscape of Domino's last year versus, and a little bit of it this year from your perspective. Yeah, thank you, Phil. And yeah, last year was, a, it was like I think for most businesses and we're a accumulation of a lot of small businesses. Pretty well one of the toughest years that I've ever done in my 36-year history. We just came out of COVID, which was just an extraordinary boom. You don't realize at the time when everybody's working from home and you're trying to run a business all over the world, it's very gradual, but slowly there's things that you stop doing, you start changing, whether it's our trading hours we're reducing because people were going to bed early. And then that became a habit when things change and do you change it back to, we weren't creating many products during COVID because we could barely keep up with what we had and the supply chains were so fractured. Creating new products 
meant just putting a holy potential on the team when why were you doing that when you could barely keep up with the volumes you were doing? And then we came out of COVID and I think the first reality shock for us was in February, March last year when the Ukraine war hit because about 40% of our business is in Europe and it was the first epicenter to give us a bit of a perspective of what then didn't fully flow into Asia and Australia, but it was just overnight. We always thought we had contracts with business partners, but overnight it was force majeure, force majeure, force majeure. Sorry, we're not giving you energy. We're not giving you cheese. We're not giving you flour unless you pay this new price. And the epicenter was Germany. Germany in Domino's, um, when everything sings, there's about 25 cents in the dollar to be made in profit. You know, franchisees should make somewhere around 12 to 14 of that. We'd make about eight of that. We have a partner in DPZ who would get two or three of that. Somewhere in that mix, it's about 25. In Germany, in the space of one month, 21 cents of the dollar got taken out of the room. I mean, Australia got eight. So it was nearly three times what happened in Australia. So it was absolutely terrifying. And I remember in history when we'd get a three or 4% of sales increase, we were in shock because it's been a low inflationary world for so long. So yeah, the first thing that happened is we couldn't send all of our franchisees broke. So we took the first bullets because there was already prices in the marketplace. You can't pass it through and send all your franchisees broke. So we were the meat and the sandwich to keep the business alive. And then we just slowly unwound that. We had to start winging it a lot because most of our pricing tests, we we're very data-driven, can take us like nine to 12 months. Lots of cycles of repeat purchase because sometimes you get a false positive. So you think, oh, they took the price and then... 26 weeks later, it's a slow drop away. And we didn't have the time to test everything. So we were winging it a lot. We got a lot wrong. And so that was painful. But then we went back into our cadence. And I think we're going to talk a lot about today. But now we're through the other side and it's actually the complete opposite. And, you know, from Europe and Australia, we're in a very good place. Still got a bit of work to do in parts of Asia. But, yeah, the Australian business and the uh, European business is in a, in a good spot, quite healthy. Yeah, as you see, all those different markets, not all countries operate the same, right? So different pain points, different countries, but there's a common theme there across the world. 34 years I shared with the people before that I've been in this industry, and it's the first time we've seen increases in every single thing go up at the same time. Dom, let's get into some of the questions that I put out there to some of the people that they were really keen on knowing that I vetted and thought it was great. And then I'm going to open up to the floor if anyone's got questions as well. In terms of pricing strategies, right? Prices start high, but there are lots of vouchers and offers available. How does this work? What's the psychology behind it? Because you guys promote better than anyone I've seen because you know your audience, you know your channel, and you know what people want. So talk us through the pricing strategy and then the vouchers that sit behind it. Yeah, as I said, last year wasn't a very good example because we were taking prices, we took too much in certain parts, and because we weren't following the insights and the data. So we have various different channels and different channels have different pricing. So the pizza business is a lot like the hotel business and so on, where you might have a retail menu price, which probably one in four people pay. And then we have users that are the most frequent users, semi-frequent users, all the way down to light users. And we price accordingly, although there is leakage in that because it's not a pure science today. And then it depends on whether it's owned media. So we get a lot of our sales from our own media. Our own media means our electronic direct mail database, our SMS database, our push notification database. And then even the way we cross-channel owned media with paid social media where we know a lot about the customer, so we semi-own it, but we're still paying um, elements of it. And the more efficient we are, uh, the less we pay. And then you still have mass media channels like TV still has an element to play and so does uh, the letterbox. All the way to the fastest growth, pure, fresh in the market, 
once again, we're paid social, aggregators, still parts of the Google products. You know, if five years ago, a big company like Domino's bought most of its media from the TV stations, Google was a big partner with um, YouTube and search and all of the digital banners and so on. And then you still had a little bit of News Corp and the Letterbox. And we own our own business in Australia for Letterbox Distribution Company. Today, because of COVID, it's nearly all the global players out of Silicon Valley and, and China. Like you're talking, it's Meta, it's TikTok, it's Line if you're in Asia, and it's still Google. They're the big media houses. And so, even we're transitioning at the moment. In the old media world, you might buy a 15-second TV ad, but all 15-second TV ads aren't created equal, even in the same ad break. You're always prime-timing the first or the last. So, that, I'm just using that as an example because not all social media is made equal. There's To try and buy benefits in the algorithm, it means you need scale, you need to, or you need to be really clever, like a lot of young marketers are today, and just, and literally keep trying to beat the algorithm to dominate, which changes all the time. So you either pay for it, like a Domino's, or you've got to be nimble and quite intelligent as some of the young creators are. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And I know that you researched that to the nth degree and test on consumers. So let's talk about, for people in the audience that are small business saying, hey, I don't have the budget Domino's does for marketing. What are the bare minimums? And keep in mind, Domino's as a brand is a massive business, but they're dealing with 3,000 small businesses. So if you've got that mindset going, hey. 3,800. 3,800, sorry. They're dealing with 3,800 small businesses. So what's the advice to small businesses when it comes to marketing, when someone's saying, I might not have the budget or I can't afford it right now? Yeah. So yeah, we're a combination. So we actually own 900 of our own stores and that's one franchise in a sense in 12 markets. And then we have some large franchisees who might have 30 or 50 stores. Then we go all the way down to single unit operators in small towns or young people in the business. So it's quite a diverse when you see uh, the different people in our group. I think first thing you've got to step back from is that Any small business probably starts out and becomes a successful small business because it's inspired customers with something that it does. It's an inspired service, an inspired product, or it's both. So it stands for something. But the nature of a small business as it starts to grow and look for further growth, does it know who it is and does it start trying to be something to everybody? And as it tries to be, and this is a fine line that Domino's often fails or crosses over into, is that if you try to stand and try to be something for everybody, you're nothing, actually. It's why it doesn't Holden exist in Australia anymore. Sorry to any of the Holden fans, but because it didn't stand for anything in the end. And, and it was uninspiring unless you're just an absolute fan and probably was from your dad or something like that while you're an absolute fan, not because it was a good product anymore. And so small businesses and large businesses, there's no different. You've got to keep reminding yourself, what business am I in? So I often ask a president, I ask a group, so I'll, a few nights I got dinners at my house with franchisees and first thing I was asking, what business are we in? And people go, well, we're in the people business. You say, yep, byproduct. We're obviously in the pizza business. Mm, yep, you know, that's not the focused answer. The focused answer is we're in the business of creating inspired products and services for the style of customer we're going after. And so if you're in the fashion business and we're retailers, if you're in the fashion business, you get four seasons a year. You nail that season, you sell it all at full price and you run out. You don't nail it, you're going to be discounting. You have to do traffic. If you don't have customers, you don't have a business. You can't make more money from less customers. So we're no different. You've got to make sure that when we we just launched a whole new well-tested range today and straight away you know it's going to work because we already tested it all. For our customer group, when it's inspired, high margin. If it's not, we'll be discounting. All of a sudden, the marketing channel is walking in with our franchise advisory council and saying, well, sales aren't going anywhere, are they? 
And then the second thing that happens is that we can create our customers rate our product out of five stars in the back of the app. And so we're very focused on getting that up to a 4.5 and above because the 4.5 and above is a nine on a NPS score, which means they're promoters. A four means it's a neutral customer and that's four out of five, but that's four out of five. They're tough markers. You go, no, 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 you got to get it to 4.5 because that's when our sales skyrocket. So if we create an inspired product, we've also got to make it inspired. And that's where a chain like Domino's can let down because how do you make sure you're trying to get your execution up all the time? Because it's pointless bringing out products only to then not make them properly and then discount them. And it's the most dumbest thing in the world to spend millions of dollars launching something and millions of dollars removing it and millions of dollars launching something. And that's the majority of the world of retail. So if you can create inspired, like if I went back to the lava cake was the first mass market product of that style in Australia in 2008. They just walked out the door full price and people paid more for pizza to buy that. And we've got products today. We've just launched a um, design to delivered fry. Biggest food that fast food companies sell is fries and fries don't deliver well. So for the last couple of years, we've been designing a fry, a chip, and we just launched it today that's been designed to be delivered. Now, we're not discounting it because it is a really good product. Why would we discount it? Tell me about the story, because one of the things about the lava cake, remember you telling me in 2008 is, you told me, Phil, it's made out of real Belgium chocolate, and da-da, and I said to you, but especially my background, strategy, marketing, branding, and I said, Don, why aren't you promoting that? And you said, because no one will believe us, the return buy will promote it. Yeah, so in the beginning, we didn't announce those things, then later on, they became secondary tertiary messages, but yeah, you know, our French Belgian chef of the day, Stéphane, was sitting in a Paris restaurant eating an 18 euro chocolate cake, and he said, oh, my mum used to make these, and we're like, Oh my God, imagine, I reckon Australians would like these. I mean, look at it. Like, So, yeah, straight in the love lab, he goes down in the woolies, brings back all this mix, makes up a cake, and you're going, yeah, this is going to be unbelievable. And then we go into mass production with it and so on and, and change it over the years. But And the lava cake is actually a bit of an answer in our business because over the years we did dumb it down a little bit in that you know, we'd put it in a regular Domino's box and we'd get $2.95 for it. Then we put it in a chocolate box with tissue paper and the customer said, that's better. It tastes better. It's the same product but better packaging. And... You can get $3.95 for that. Then we do that. But then someone online, somebody's genius in, in the uh, you know, cost-cutting division of we need to make more profit says, oh, this glossy box costs you 50 cents instead of 22 Don't cents. Don't let accountants run your business, right? <laughs> and then the glossy box goes away and we're still trying to charge $3.95 for it at that time. Like, but you've just devalued the product. And so always got to remember you're in the business of inspired products and services. And if I'm a small business, what do I stand for? Am I just a commodity on the corner selling a coffee and a cake? Or do I have... And you know, the best thing is put in TikTok or Reels words. Like I put in every day words because we also live in a, in a generation that is called eatertainment. So the whole experience of creating food designed for TikTok and Reels, if I'm a small business, that's what I'd be doing because that's how you're getting a little audience, then paying some paid social to promote in your area or region around these unique characteristics, even if sometimes they're seasonality fads. And that's what we talk about marketing is emotional engagement. So you look at what Don said, don't go wide and shallow, go narrow and deep, know your product, know how to tell your story, choose the right audience for what you tell. And I would never have said this a year ago, but get a bloody TikTok account because it does work. And my team here, that the youth, they call me the granddad of the industry now at 48, God help us. But the young, they know better, right? They're sharper, they're across this listen to them and get out there and promote it because the return of investment for things like TikTok and social media is just crazy. And there's young marketers now who live on there. My son has a business like this. I'm not allowed to use him because we're a public company. But he has a small business that 
creates short-form ads for small businesses so that he's helping people create their content and so on. Whether you want to spend $100 or you want to spend tens of thousands of dollars, there's lots of people like him that can help your small business even give you a bit of truth. Like you might believe your own BS and you're sitting in front of him saying, oh, look at this croissant. Yeah, okay, on TikTok, I can't tell. Tell me why. How is this anything better? Like, what are you trying to sell me here? You know, like, but if you can prove it visually and then obviously someone tasting it and actually, you know, the whole, anyway, I won't go into all the detail of it, but that whole experience today for small business is exceptional. And I just, it blows me away because sometimes you walk into a place and the cakes and everything's dead. Yeah, people eat with their eyes, right? It's like, come on, where's the thing that I should try that's so unique? Inspired products, take that one away. I love this question that came to me, Don, because deliveries become a big part of business for restaurants and cafes and they're dealing with platforms like Uber Eats. But where are the margins now to be able to pay third parties like that? But some people say, but I need to be on it. Talk us through your thoughts and how you guys tackle it. Look, delivery is the ultimate convenience and COVID, there's been a slight reset, but by and large, it's still the ultimate convenience and it's going to continue to grow. And over time, the Ubers and so on will get more automated and costs will come down. But in the interim, you need to value add products to differentiate. And also, if you go and get one of these small agencies, a small young person who knows how to blow products and people away, the thing that they'll also talk to you about is what are some of the tricks? Things like incentivizing ratings. Give me a five and I'll give you $5 off your next product. Now, you might be adding the five to the price. I'm not sure how you're going to work for your business, but at the end of the day, there's lots of different triggers to position you inside. Also, what's in their algorithms and all three platforms in Australia work differently, but there's certain things that get incentivized. So, you just need some smart person to sit with you for a few minutes and say, you need to be doing this because you'll build up your yield and you will end up making more money. If you're just a hidden business in there, just getting slapped with whatever, I don't even know what these guys are charging, small businesses, but I'm sure it's a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot of money in that. You know, So you've got to sit back and say, how am I value adding this? And then how do I get the algorithms to work for me? And everybody thinks that these people cost a lot of money. There's tons and tons of small little startup-y businesses that help small businesses get on. Because one of the things they want to do is help you be a bigger business. Because if some young genius or even an old genius helps you light it up in just a little bit of advice, well, they're going to probably get a lot more business from you, right? They'll reference your content. See this business here? They used to do this. I now took them to this. They did this. I took them to this. Well, who else is going to go looking for them, right? And word of mouth and so on. So that's how they build businesses. But I think the days of the big agency is more threatened by the life of the small because these big agencies lived to the fact that they could do these massive creative campaigns, but I met with the CEO of Coca-Cola a few months ago. 60% of their budget last year was spent on social media. 80% this year. It's Coca-Cola. Why? Because your screen's in your hand. And if I want to be in arm's reach of a Coca-Cola, I better have a screen in arm's reach. If I put it on television, by the time I leave my television and go to the supermarket or into a petrol pump to buy a drink, there's a shitload of other brands that hit me on billboards and everything else. If it's on my screen right at the moment of when I'm living. And it's also the other benefit is it's not about the TV tells you the whole social networks show you. And being part of people's lives, particularly young people, they smell BS in social. Ah, this is a fake influencer. This person's being paid. Or they're being paid, but I trust them anyway because they wouldn't choose. You know, there's all different kinds of influencers. The power of building an individual restaurant, cafe, business, but understanding 
all of these sort of things and how they keep morphing. It's more powerful than big agencies. Big agencies, I mean, we've even got dinosaur parts of our business because of this. We're not moving fast enough, you know? And so bring it back to the um, third party, Uber Eats. I remember you telling me how you dealt with Uber Eats. Do you, I don't know if it's still the same. If you order your Domino's on Uber Eats, you actually get a Domino's delivery driver. Is that still true? Yeah, that's right. Only Domino's delivers Domino's today and that's important to us because in our value equation, product, service and image divided by price equals value. And that is we want to be in control of our product experience. We don't want it to be a triple, doubles. We try to focus on single delivery orders because – it just makes such a difference to the product and execution. The service model, same thing. It's so random. As soon as you get bad weather or events, can you even get an aggregator order, right? Whereas we're just dominating those spaces because we're the largest driver fleet in Australia as one company, you know, bigger than Australia Post for live driver fleet for real-time delivery and the image of the brand. So it's our people. So, you know, as soon as we hand exclusively everything over to the aggregator, well, where's your brand for the image? Where's the service offering? It could be quite random what's going to happen tonight and the control of the product could get misused and abused. So that's how we are today. You can also white label DoorDash. DoorDash is white labeled to McDonald's and a few other players. I think they white label for anybody. What that means is that you could spin up your own and then the drivers have a different price than the branded price. Which is some good advice because I was going to say, how do the single operators navigate that to be on that? So the advice there would be white label, choose your pricing accordingly. If I'm a small business, go and get one of these genius kids to go through block by block by block and build your business orders by orders by orders. Okay, how are we going to deal with the aggregators? What's the latest thing you do with aggregators? How are we going to market our business? Even like, so a company like Domino's, we meet 48 times a year on product development every single week, bar, Christmas, whatever, right? We're in business creating spy products and services. So how would that be any different to an individual small business operator? Surely you've got something there that, you know, that's what got you there. And if you don't put it in your business because you're not going to win without it, what's your menu look like this year? What are your mini product launches for your point of sale, even if it's chalk, get a chalk artist, but what are the selling points about these things? And then, as I said, hundreds of dollars. You could never be on television. You could never do video content. So it segues perfectly. How far in advance, I know Domino's does it 48 times a year you're meeting, how far in advance should people be looking at their menu and their product offering? Yeah, so we have to buy big, long pipelines of food. So we're the largest buyer of mozzarella cheese in the Asia-Pacific region. So you can't just change the cheese taste and expect that you can have it next week. We sometimes buy up the whole supply of a new ingredient because it's a small ingredient. So we have to build the pipeline Typically, if we're pulling something forward early, if it's made from existing ingredients, we could do it in four to six months. But if it's a new ingredient, could be anywhere from 12 months to two years of building that supply chain. So our tested pipeline is about nine months old. So if something's not working, we can pull something forward. Our build it pipeline of innovations about three years long of ideations and things are shuffling in that menu almost few weeks, pulling something forward, pushing something out, adding something, getting a new insight to something and adding. We do a lot of testing or pre-dotyping with names and because we're trying to get every 1%, the compounding effect of 1%ers, in our case, 1% of our business is $46 million. So you want to chase the 1%ers. It's a lot of money. And for everyone, it's important now with, with obviously costs and everything going on. Last question before I open up to the audience. How do you deal with negative reviews? Everyone gets them. Everyone has them. Give us some tips. How does your team deal with negative reviews? Yeah, so the first thing to do, like trolls exist 
And especially if you start lighting it up, you'll also get the opposite person, right? And especially because you stand for something, then the non-people that's challenged by that, even your competitors may pile in. Don't get obsessed about that. Make sure you are. We, we have a thing called Criticizer, which we're slowly grinding it down. We wanted to get it to 30 minutes where everything's responded in 30 minutes. We're not there today. We're, I think we're three hours average at the moment, but we were up to a day. So we're getting better. And so, first of all, make sure you're, you are getting some response to some of this stuff. But the other thing is, how do you drown it out with good reviews? So reward positive reviews. So it's amazing just even giving, rate us and get an incentive. Because most people who think you did a good job actually don't comment. It's the people who you screwed up that they do. So try to get people to weigh and get a proper balance and get yourself up. As I said, one of the best things in aggregate is give a bounce back coupon. You guys do that well. Yeah, so most of it well. I would never want to say we're flawless. We've got lots of mistakes and I'm sure people have been consumers in the room where we haven't got it right every time. But... Chase positive reviews and respond as best you can, as soon as you can to the negative views. And the other thing is, when you do turn someone who was negative, positive, ask them to go back and re-rate you. Yeah, good advice there. So obviously, yeah. if you turn someone... And a lot of people will if you do a really good job, right? Last stat. You've got to hear this one, right? Fastest delivery time from order to door in all of the 10 different regions you operate. 12 regions, 3,800 venues. What's the quickest delivery time? Get ready for it. From order to deliver to door. Yes. So we had a store in Tokyo. It's now a three-year-old record. We haven't beat it, although we get close all the time, but never smash it. From time you pressed enter and we arrived at your door on average for a whole week, not one order, the whole week, two minutes and 37 seconds. Yeah. Now, how do you achieve that? You achieve All it? Japan is 60% quattro pizzas, which means four kinds of pizza on one pizza. The other 20% is half and half and only another 20 single. We had a... a piece of software in our business called the future order screen. So when you enter our app, we're already predicting what you're going to order and we're going to start making and baking it before you press enter. Especially at our so. house, they know New Farm <laughs> store, it's, it's always the same two pizzas get ordered. So those guys average us about 12 minutes from order to our door. The average is about 12 minutes and that's one to two times yeah, a month. New Farm was the original what we call Project 310 stores, although New Farm's now such a busy store. I think it's like 14 minutes at the moment. But yeah, we have stores every week that are doing somewhere around five or six minutes and every now and then someone goes for a record and yeah, we haven't beat two minutes and 37 seconds yet. But and that's yeah. what happens when you get everything right. When you've got that vision, that future problem solve, your customer focus, you get the AI templates. I remember Don telling me 10 years ago, this is what we're, where we're going and what we're doing. It's so futuristic. And I say to people, especially everyone in the room right now that's doing it tough, you've got two options. It's, we either sit there and do nothing, which is not going to have a good outcome, or you've got to get on your bike and you've got to pedal. And you've got to be able to talk to the people in this room, listen to the nuggets of gold that are coming out of this and say, right, what can I adopt in my business? And how can I go and make sure that I'm pedaling so that once I get through this hardship, we're actually prospering on the other side. So I'm going to open it up to the floor. Questions? Thank you very much. That was is, that is really interesting. I heard you talking a lot about the micro but planning out store planning and the macro, structuring leases, how long do you aim to structure your leases so that you've got to secure a site and maintain it and hold it? Yeah, so we're still at the mercy of landlords that are mostly mum and dad landlords. We don't go into Westfields by nature and any of the big conglomerates. So when dealing with mum and dad leases, right, because they're their retirement funds and or they're small entrepreneurs who have, have got their retirement funds. And so we either do three by three by threes or five by five by five. So 15 years or nine years. The useful life of a domino store is about seven and a half years 
for the average, although the core equipment can last decades, fighting technology doesn't change too quick on us. And so, yeah, we're doing three by three by threes or five by five by fives, depending on the landlord. As far as the pipeline goes, we have most markets mapped out to the current forecast for those stores. So for example, Australia, New Zealand right now, we're 900 stores and the maps are for 1,200 stores. And just so we're clear on that, when a franchisee buys one of our stores, they buy a map. They own the territory. So we can't just go and put another store in that territory without either buying it off them. They choose to do it. They might sell territory, but it's not like a lot of franchises in the burger and sandwich and chicken business where you're doing really well, they can put another one across the road. We can't do that in Domino's because we're a delivery business. So the goodwill of the store is owned by the territory. You know, The goodwill of a burger business is often its location. For us, it's the biggest value is in the homes in the area. So we've mapped all of Australia and New Zealand, 1,200 stores today. Japan's also at 970, it's 2,000 stores. And so there's, and then it's sort of going through the low-hanging fruit from the top because the predictor in the sales says, this store's going to open up and do $2 million. So it should be a priority versus a $1.5 million store. So, you know, just ranking. And then those numbers are shifting constantly by new data going in. They sometimes get worse like last year and sometimes they get better. And so sometimes some stores drop off the list and you say, well, we probably shouldn't have those. They're now going to be sub-economic with the current margins in the business. And then other times when we're booming, all of a sudden it actually goes the other way. Like, man, it's, it's crazy how quickly, because it's like fashion. When you nail product, margins jump so quickly, you start selling everything at a lot higher price. And next thing, the whole algorithm changes. You go, oh, there we go. We've got to have more stores looking at that. Yes, country by country. So yeah, yep, that's exactly right. So we're in 12 markets with seven core markets. So New Zealand has run out of Australia, although we have a team in New Zealand, but the most, our global office is in Brisbane. So most of the senior, well, for Australia and New Zealand are in Brisbane, but also a lot of our global heads are in Brisbane where a lot of the technology gets created and a lot of these things get created, not exclusively, but mostly. Other questions? There's a hand up the back, Annalise. Thanks very much. And thanks for making time, Don. I have a two-part question, but before that, I actually, um, I had coffee sitting next to you and your partner in the uh, lobby of the Calile the other day, and uh, my partner caught a glimpse of your partner's diamond ring. Thanks very much for that, by the way. Thanks. Reset the benchmark. There's a lot of pizza in that. <laughs> yeah. My question was, does Domino's, do you still have the luxury of being able to do like a local buy policy where you really actively go after, say, local Queensland or Brisbane or Australian vendors? Or once you become publicly listed, does that luxury go out the window? Yeah, no, definitely we do. And for certain ingredients, you're almost forced by nature to go that way. In Europe, it's a lot more intense because in Europe, it's almost getting mandated too. So there's a lot of government legislation coming now with the whole ESG movement. So we're actually constantly fighting... Europe, it's an economic community, but it's, it's made up of very, very nationalist cultures. I'm French and I don't eat German cheese. End of story. Yes, the answer is yes. So sometimes we'll go and buy a, some wheat, for example, from a, and maybe it's going to be 40 or 50% of our wheat and it's a certain farmer. And I'm specifically thinking about one in New South Wales. We've got a protein coming early next year where we're specializing with one business partner. We've done that with beef. So yes to most things, but the big core commodities like our Domino's tomato sauce paste that we use, that's typically coming out of one major location down in Victoria or mozzarella cheese. The food security for us with cheese 
unless we were doing a boutique product like our camembert or something like that, but if we're buying mozzarella, there's only two people in the whole world who can supply the amount of mozzarella we buy, literally only two companies. And so we've got a tender with two companies, unfortunately, which isn't always the best. Fortunately, they are global enemies. So that helps. Um, we're in a cheese tender at the moment. But yes, Thank you. where we can, we can with exceptions. That's great. The only other one was Yabba, which is the company that, that I'm representing. We were lucky enough to win the Telstra contract to release the new MMS technology, which is similar to SMS, bringing the price down sort of comparable. Is that anything that Domino's has ever thought about trying, an engaging rich media message platform? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it, Phil. Send us what you've got to offer. We'll always, almost always test something. I say that at my level and somebody's at a different area going, no, 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 you don't get it, Don. I go, okay. Tell me why I don't get it. And... Well, if we're starting from the top, we're doing okay. <laughs> well, I can vouch for that. Send it to me and I'll put it through and Don always responds and he moves very quickly on stuff like that because as he said before, if you're not moving quickly, somebody else might pick it up and what's the worst thing? He looks at it and says, yep, it's not for us or yes, this is great. So, Don, to elaborate because you mentioned something that a lot of people, some would be thinking this and some might not have thought about it, the importance of ESG because it's coming. I mean, in our industry, it's already there, whether you know it or not, when they banned plastics and all the rest of it. Give us that, because I know how futuristic you are. Tell us the, what small business needs to be across from in terms of ESG, because you'd have the same pain points. Yeah, I think that knowing who you are, but for a lot of small businesses, it can be one of the biggest things, especially with paid social now, that you can actually pursue audiences. If we talk about the epicenter, without a doubt, the epicenter is Europe right now because they're mandating, they're pushing, and it's law, and it's law now, or it's law coming in six months, whether it can be just the Paris mayor writes law for the city of Paris, or they write it for France, or the EU, and so on. So, as a global business, one of the things that Europe forces us to do is to mandate that across our business, because we create supply chains. So, it came out of Europe, but we have a better chicken commitment. We have a better pork commitment, a better beef commitment, which is how the animals are treated, and also removing eggs from nearly every product that we have and finding alternatives. So, yeah, it's really significant. In some cases, it costs a lot of money to get going and therefore, you're always best to be a partner with someone who spent all the money. In other areas, like with our mozzarella, we're actually launching a brand new mozzarella in January, February, which is a new signature. It's tastier, it's stretchier. It's better for the planet and then it gets really good for the planet in stage two because the number one thing that affects our business is cows. We use a lot of dairy and cows are bad for the planet. That's our number one carbon footprint is in cows, not our electric bikes and cars running around. They're actually one of the smallest parts of our carbon footprint. It's actually the animals that are part of our supply chain. So, so that's phase one. Phase two for us is we're very focused on cell-based agriculture. And I think keep an eye and watch that because if you're a small business, because by the way, Domino's couldn't launch cell-based agriculture in the first phase because it's just too boutique. But if you're a business that can get a hold of cell-based chicken, beef, pork, milk for coffee and be there first when it's small production, I mean, cell-based agriculture has a positive carbon footprint. It's unbelievable. And that is a massive game changer it performs exactly like the real product because it's made from cells of the product and it's by far going to be the biggest transformation. So, we're monitoring that really closely because we don't want to be second. We are playing with certain products with that. But for us, they're still so boutique. They'll be for made for 50 outlets or something like that, not for or one. Remember the first cell-based chicken nugget was sold in a single restaurant in Singapore and lines to buy it, lines out the door and charging a lot for it. We can't roll that out. No, so that's a small business 
golden nugget. Looking for those ESG things and doing them first with business partners, they need customers. They need businesses to sell these stories, right? Nearly all big ideas start with small businesses and then they make it to companies like ours. So, Good advice. Yeah, that's good advice using, for example, with our milk, right? We switched to Mulaney Dairy. Why? First milk company to be carbon neutral, ticks all the ESG strategy. So we partnered with Mulaney. Pay a little bit more. We put it to our customers. They said, we're happy to pay 50 cents more a cup if we know that this milk comes from privately owned farms and it ticks the carbon footprint. Same with Wild Beverages, another partner here at the Commune. People are happy to pay a premium for their beverages. They were the first carbon neutral drinks with their strategy, the recycled glass, their labels, etc. So partnering, you don't have to do it yourself. Partnering with suppliers that actually tick that ESG strategy allows you to tick that ESG strategy. Other questions? Hello. Thank you, Tim. And it's first time to see you here. I'm very glad to listen what you advise. I have a question about, we all know Domino has a lot of staff, mostly more young people. And we know in recruitment is one of a difficult thing for every owner here. Particularly, you recruit a young member, young staff, and young member, they come in and go without any sense. So they not really keep going after three months or four months. After the, you put out a whole other training for them, then they decide to go just because they want to. So they don't have a lot of loyalty on this working. How you keep your young staff continue running and how you suggest to us as we all have a problem with recruitment how we go into training and and keep them wanting to continue working on on your organization because the training course is one of our biggest we are continue training every day and that's really hard for every business i guess yeah, look, you're 100% right. It is a big challenge and we employ 120,000 people and 25,000 of them here in Australia. So it is a really big challenge. It's something that we're constantly working on. One of the things that is very clear, even if I just look at Brisbane, because you're all in Brisbane here, we have stores in Brisbane that have next to no turnover. And we have stores in Brisbane with extremely high turnover. And the common factor is the leadership in that store and how they're embracing people and that they literally do create a little mini community with their team that goes beyond just the pay and the training development is that they're actually looking at other ways to create a community with those offering them maybe a little bit easier in our business but offering them an opportunity for those who want to climb up the ladder in our business i started as a pizza delivery driver most of our franchisees are ex-pizza makers or delivery drivers and so we say from pizza maker to franchisee or executive in our company but even putting that aside because not everybody can be in a franchisee not everyone can be an executive so it's a sense of belonging and that's a cultural thing we do recommend that our stores pay more by training because that's also a lock-in the more i train the more i get paid and it doesn't have to be a lot a lot more my sister's coming back from north america and she was in a place called charleston where it was brutal two percent unemployment even before COVID, just brutal place and ultimately training paying people more than creating a sense of community and competitors are closing everywhere and she's just killing it I mean, she was at one point, she had 24 domino stores. She made $1.2 million, which wasn't very good for that business. She couldn't staff it. So we reduced to 14. The next year, she made $3 million out of 14 US dollars, about 5 million Australian dollars out of 14 domino stores. And she was paying everybody more and looking after them and so on. And not ridiculous amounts. You know, it's an American culture. They started earning more in tips as well. But it's three pieces. It's how you remunerate in the long term. 
for training, somebody who's turning over all the time, they're not worth much to you because they still don't know much. But if people start sticking, how do you reward that? Because they make less mistakes and they're far more productive. And so with that training, people are trained, they like their work more. And then third one is creating a community with your team. You know, whether it's five team members or it's a hundred team members in a business, it's a sense of belonging and community. And that comes in various different forms, including the odd little social event, lots of little recognition all the time, little, and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. For us, our people love badges, they collect badges. Now, you can buy these on the internet for nothing. They're so cheap. You can get a small print run of 20 badges made and it could be $4 each or something. You walk in our stores, you'll see team members. They look like those kids that were the English with all the badges all over their hats, you know, from the 80s. But they collect these things and they're all like, well, when you start as a new team member, well, I'm clearly experienced. Oh, look how many badges I've got. And it's sort of this belonging that only I could have earned that at this level in the business. So community is really, really important in the stores. Some of our biggest stores in, in Australia even are up in Morrowfield and Burpengary and out in Toowoomba. And those franchisees have been there for decades. They started as team members for me. And they'll have like 80 team members in a little domino store. And you walk in and eight are qualified as managers, another 10 are qualified as assistant manager, and they just stay because they feel like a belonged sense of community. Yeah, thanks, Don, and, and, and thanks, Phil. This has been a great afternoon. You've probably touched on it already. It's a bit of a segue already. I was going to ask, how are you going with franchisee recruitment and retention? And you already touched on some of it, but a little bit more about perhaps recruitment. Yeah, so the first thing is that I'm really anti-external recruitment. Domino's as a brand is 63 years old and the founder of Domino's in the first phase of our business insisted that we only sell internally because people who grow up and get an opportunity to become successful in this business feel like they're, they're giving back constantly. When you sell a business outside, that person feels entitled. I bought this from you. You need to make it perform for me and are very different culture. And we made a really big mistake in Australia about 10 years ago. We were just growing like lightning. We started externally franchising. We broke all the rules and it, people were just paying cash for our stores. And then we had a very quick problem after that where people were not doing the right thing by the brand because I bought it. It should just work for me. I can sit at home and I bought this thing, let it produce and just completely unaligned. And that's not everybody. We have had some external franchisees come to us that have been successful, but we have a pathway from team member to manager to franchisee. And if I look at, we have what we call an ABF program. So you're either an A franchisee, a B franchisee, or an F, meaning you're failing, not what you were thinking, Phil. And so we have our job is to get you from F to A or B because really you can only stay in Domino's if you're an A or B. And if I look at 100% of the A's, all grew up in our business. And we're not steering it to make it looked good to them. These are third-party measures from the app scores to their own sales growth and profitability to their food safety audits and so on. So all over the world, my CEOs will constantly say, oh, I'm growing so quickly. i got all these great candidates. They want to buy our stores. And I'm like, don't do it. Sometimes they still do. Right now, I'd push that like crazy. The second big thing about our business is this. If we talk about return on investment, when our stores average about three times. So if someone puts in 450,000, they make 150,000 after wages. That's how we measure it three times. Our business starts to just accelerate. Everybody wants to buy one. When we get it down to two, two and a half, you can almost not. Like Queensland's really hard to buy a shop in Brisbane because they're very profitable stores. When you start heading towards a four-year payback, it just starts dropping. There's a couple of countries that are a little different to that. Japan has a much lower perception of return on investment. 
because many of their businesses have been deflationary for so long. Five years is even good. But to an Australian or European, around three, two and a half. And so what we do as a team, we're obsessed with building a business strategy around how we get to two and a half and EBITDA to investment after a fully managed store, whether it's a single unit franchisee, they still get a wage or they pay people to run it. That's their earnings. And we literally report on this inside our business weekly. We're really obsessed with it. We go on roadshows. We do a profit rocket session. And last year, we super underperformed that. I mean, obviously, all the inflation it hurt us. Stores dropped down. As we're coming back out, I expect stores will accelerate again because we're in a healthier place. Yeah. Other questions? How are you going? I remember about 10 years ago, I was a finance journal at the time covering your AGMs here in Brisbane. So I do actually know a bit about what you're talking about there. But left field, I'd just like to know, I'm a big podcast listener. I'd just like to know if there's podcasts that you listen to, what you'd recommend or a book that you'd recommend that sort of inspired you and guided you. And if you yourself have a mentor. These are good questions. I, I don't actually listen to a lot of podcasts. There's two things. I do read a lot of books, I and mean, I'll talk to some of those in a minute. I'm really bad with their names, but I'll, they'll come to me because I'm always just going to the next book, and it's not something I remember, but it will come to me. Because Domino's is so intense globally, so we're 12 markets and it's 94 countries, we get a, like a lot of information internally, both from in our own business, but also our peers. So there's a lot of case studies constantly going on that are quite well done. And so we're literally weekly, we're getting all this content. And so that consumes a lot of inspiration because you, oh my gosh, the UK is taking off. What are they doing? Oh, this company's, this market's going down. What did they do wrong? Oh, this product just went off. Oh, they're not having labor issues. Their margins are up, all these sort of things. And we also do studies of like markets. So we just bought the Cambodian market and Guatemala is the most identical thing. So I go and do a case study in Guatemala and stuff. So that's what occupies a lot of our own reading and internal. And then of course, I love retail. So I'm obsessed with retail papers and stuff like that. So I'll grab everything I can on the big retailers that I follow around the world that I admire. And it's amazing how much content they're often public companies and are pumping out the company in the US called Wingstop, nine months payback. I love that business. Nine months payback, you know? Wow. And it sells chicken wings. Are you kidding me? That's got to be one of the hardest businesses in the world. How do you value add chicken wings? But they do, and they do a very good job. So often doing a lot of that. But yes, some of the books, that I, like the DHL book I just read recently, if anybody's read that, you know, I'll open up my reading list because that will get me straight onto it. Yeah, so we have a library which we give. And like tomorrow night when people come over to my home, I will give out books, my favorite books. Some of those books are like Pizza Tiger, which is a Domino's, or, or like um, Atomic Habits, all those sort of books, which I know are big readers. But the story of the, um, the owner is really good too, the one you gave me. Good luck buying on the internet because I buy nearly all of them, but yep. But I could get you a copy. <laughs> yeah, what are some of the other ones? The Power of Crisis, Radical Change, Radical Simplicity, sorry. That is a really good book for business. You know, how the DHL, you know, losing millions and hundreds of millions and turns into billions of profit. Such a Nadella's book, the Microsoft book called Hit Refresh is amazing. No Rules Rules, the Netflix story. That is a eye-turner. That is, you've got to do it 100%. You couldn't do it as part. The Ministry of Common Sense. That's a great book for business. The Ministry of Common Sense. It is, but you think this is what happens in our business. We get so big that common sense doesn't stop supplying. Literally. And 
People start believing thought land rather than real land, data land, what's actually happening, not opinions. People just walk around the business giving opinions all day and are the opinions even right? Like, you know, so that's a really good book, The Ministry of Common Sense. Measure What Matters. Has anybody read that? That's brilliant. That's the OKR story. That's how, if you ever wonder, how does Google run itself? Like, how do you run a company like that? Creating that many innovative products that stay on track, get to market, and get hits. So, Measure What Matters is a really good book around that. I could keep going on and on and on. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question from the audience. Hello. I'm just asking about menus. Just like McDonald's has the Big Mac and Hungry Jack's has the Whopper, you guys have like your value range. How much is that representing to your overall sales? Like how important? Because we get these people say, you should change your menu all the time. I'm like, that's BS because I know what sells and I'll tweak it, but I don't want to change my entire menu. How important is it to you? Yeah, it's really good because the comparison you're using is actually something that's different to the pizza business because we actually don't have a global signature product. Domino's globally sells different pizza all over the world. It's really strange. Unlike the Whopper, unlike the Big Mac, or unlike the KFC recipe, actually Domino's tastes different in almost every country around the world, which is really unique. However, inside that country, yes, there will be products that we sell. Like our biggest selling two pizzas are our meat lovers or our pepperoni. And we, every year, still put them through sensory tests. Can we make them better? I don't like barbecue sauce, so... Anybody's barbecue sauce doesn't taste great to me. And so I'm often challenging our pizza, but there's something about our barbecue sauce that if we changed it, we would lose customers overnight. We'd lose a lot of our customers, right? Because it is a signature to Australians. Um, Same thing with the taste of our pepperoni. We played with different pepperoni and we actually have different pepperoni on our menu from time to time. But our core pepperoni, good luck changing it because Australians love it and it just keeps growing. Coming back to the ranges, that's a very good question, is that... For years, we were selling a lot of value range, and at one point, it got to about 40% of our product mix, and today, it's only about about 23%, and we've been targeting not to sell the value range, and the reason behind that is that for a long period of time, people started to think that's all we sold, and they are our lower-cost pizzas to produce, so they're not always our best product that we produce. So we've been, if you look at Tuesdays, we do a 50% off on Tuesdays, but only on our premium and traditional range. And that's been working its butt off because now people are trialing our best pizzas. And when we look at our data, I never knew pizzas from Domino's tasted like that. You know, I didn't know they made pizzas like that because the natural reaction was, well, I just go and buy their pepperoni or their margarita or their three veg or whatever. So we've been working very, very hard to change that and it's going really well. Today, we launched seven new pizzas. Only one of them's in the value range. I think three of them are in the premium range. And we're trying to take people up because that's where all the money is. The value difference for what we can charge for a premium in a contribution margin versus a value is materially different. For us, it's not even just about the pizza, it's about the basket. So the average basket, and we segment you to who, you, what kind of basket holder you'll be, and then how do we maximize your basket? Because the way you should think of a menu is this. Every single thing on your menu has to work for you. And if it doesn't work for you, get rid of it. Because it's just going to hold your business up. Now, some things that work for you may not even be big sellers. Like for us, vegan is not a big seller. But the attribution rate of getting rid of vegan today means we would lose a lot of non-vegan customers because of the vegan perception of someone in their family group or household or whatever would just be such a rejecter. So vegan still has a job, but it's got a different job to the meat lovers. 
And then we also look at, we just launched a thing called the My Domino's Box, and it's a rock star for us. The fastest growth consumer on the planet is a single eater. And we, even in our purpose, our purpose is that we bring people closer because pizza's a shared meal. So anytime you get your kids out of the cupboards, right, to come and sit with you is with pizza, right? And so, but that's changed. So now there's a lot of single eaters. And even people at a table, they don't want to share a pizza. So what? What's wrong with you people? What's, you know, you're supposed to share? I'm Australian. They're not Italian, mate, because <laughs> Italians share everything, so except their wives. If I would have told you two years ago when we first started developing this, that customers want a seven-inch pizza with two side items in one box. No one said that to us in research. Not a single person. But uh, single eaters was a really big thing and people want variety. And so now you can build, we launched at 600 variations. Now you can build over 1,000 variations of the My Domino's box and mix and matching. We only ever sell it slightly cheaper on a Thursday. And I'm talking, we give a free 600 more Pepsi with it or we take $2 of it. We sell it otherwise at full price every other day and it just keeps growing. Because it's an inspired product that, I mean, there was a holdup in Banyo and this guy was saying, well, give me KFC. And one of the people on the chat following it all said, nah, send him that, my Domino's box from Domino's. They're unbelievable. <laughs> That's what you want, right? Like to yeah, become part of vernacular. Well, the key out of there is it's about relevance and problem solving, right? Our businesses need to solve problems and we have to work out how to be relevant to our consumer base. And research doesn't always get it right. But we need to be researching why people are choosing us. But more importantly, we've got to research why people don't choose us. And I come across a lot of businesses that don't play enough in that space. Let's finish on this, Don. The importance of researching people that don't choose Domino's, right? Obviously, you know your client base inside out. You talked about it. You see how excited he gets when he starts talking product and innovation and, and all the rest of it. The octane goes next level. The importance of researching people that are not your customer because they're your untapped audience. Yeah, so... The first thing you need to recognize is there may be a group that you shouldn't even go after because by going after them, you'll actually change the call of the majority of people who do go for you. But in other cases, it's segmentation. We've never done well at lunch until the My Domino's box. Now, lunches are just booming at the moment or late night. We've got a snacking product we're launching at the end of this year. We've never been a snacking food. But, you know, we serve mostly meals. People think of Domino's as a dinner meal, a party, catering. We're the number one takeaway for QSR in Australia, dinner whereas McDonald's dominates breakfast and lunch and KFC is our next closest competitor for dinner. So they're the people we've got to think about. And the other thing that we've got to think about is only 5% of Domino's customers eat Pizza Hut, but 80% of Domino's customers eat McDonald's. So our real competitor is McDonald's. Our real competitor isn't a Pizza Hut or even an independent. So instead, when we've got to grow, we've got to grow against other categories because 51% of all pizza consumed in Australia is Domino's. And so if we're going to get more growth, well, it's not likely to come from a lot from other pizza. It's going to come from burgers, fried chicken, sandwiches, and other foods. So then we ask the question, but you don't ask a question literally because literal questions, people don't know. You've got to inspire them. So we do a lot of pre-typing where we come up with concepts all the time and we're just presenting those concepts until something lights up and you go, whoa, we're onto something. And the My Domino's Box in every country in the world has been one of the highest rated segment of what Domino's customer would love that they can't get and are non-Domino's customers, you know. So people at your tradies at lunchtime would go and get a KFC box. Well, it wasn't going to Domino's. It doesn't make sense at 11 o'clock during the day. But that my Domino's box thing, man, that's cool. And that's exactly what I would want and it's easy and, and lots of different characteristics. So, yes, pursuing customers, knowing to your core, be true to yourself. Our big things in our true triangle is designed to be delivered because 
whether a customer picks it up, which we think of them as their own driver, or it's a premium service where we're delivering it, our meals are not consumed at Domino's. Our meals are consumed off-premise. So everything we must do is designed to be delivered and we're the only major QSR of things like that. Then the second thing needs to be more sustainable. Every product that comes out has to have, so the My Domino's has got three boxes in one. It's one piece of cardboard folded into one and it's piece of origami coolness. It just works. It's tough. It's built like a BS house. It is tough. All of that sustainability, it's made from recycled cardboard and recycled, fully recyclable, and it's super profitable. For businesses to be sustainable, oh my God, they should make a profit too. <laughs> Can we forget that one? And so super profitable. And then the last one is it's pizza-ness. So when we just launched today, Designed to be Delivered Fries, first of all, we own them because they're designed to be delivered. Two is they've got pizza salt on them. So we designed pizza salt. What's pizza salt? We could have done pepperoni salt. Buy it and try it. That's what we're going to do, right? <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's Domino's flavor in a salt. Isn't that fantastic? Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause, Mr. Dom Main. <laughs> Mate, always a pleasure. And thank you so much, right, for your time. I hope you've enjoyed staying network, this food, coffee, have something to drink next door, beer, Prosecco, wine. If you're driving, don't drink. But thank you. Thanks, Don. Always a pleasure. And thanks to all of you guys. That's a wrap for today. Keep listening for more episodes of Been There and Done That. The Coffee Commune is here to help accelerate your potential. We want you to be better tomorrow than today. Until next time, you've been listening to Phil DeBella. I'm the founder and managing director of The Coffee Commune, a place where the coffee community comes to collaborate. <laughs>